All right. Well, all you need to know about what Chris Bassett did last night is that it took him two hours and three minutes to pitch that game. Probably about an extra ten minutes longer than we'll have to do our show, our show today. Uh, Chris Bassett was something else last night. Three two, the Jays beat the Houston Astros. They got a chance to take the third, a third game of this four game series tonight. Seven oh seven, first pitch on Sportsnet five ninety. The fan and Sportsnet, a good pitching matchup. Jose Barrios for the Blue Jays, Framber Valdez for the Houston Astros. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. And I don't want to waste any time. Ross Atkins, the general manager of the Blue Jays, Kevin, did his, uh, well, it's almost like a bi-weekly media availability today. It was the first time that he'd uh, made any statements publicly uh, about Alec Manoa being sent down to the Florida Complex League. Uh, the first time he, I believe it's the first time that he's made any statement publicly about Anthony Bass and Anthony Bass's um, uh, apology for liking an Instagram uh, account a couple of weeks ago that, uh, well, let's just say it, for, for an organization that is about to embark on Pride Weekend, it, um, it created a lot of issues both inside the clubhouse inside the front office for the coaching staff and for fans and, and, you know, a group of people that doesn't always, you know, that wasn't always talked about right out of the gate, but Jay's employees, frankly, who are members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so, so it covered a wide variety of topics as media availability today. Uh, the immediate focus, of course, is something we've always been talking about or something we've talked about the past couple of days is Alec Manoa being sent down to the Florida Complex League. Uh, there is no timetable for his return. Um, you know, there's, I mean, you've got to parse, you've, you've got to kind of pick through the words whenever anybody talks about Alec Manoa. Um, Kevin, I mean, we know, we, just, we, we know conditioning's been an issue. Um, they may not necessarily come out and say it publicly. Never. We'll just tell you, we, we know it is. It's an issue. Um, and nobody's looking at that in, in a pejorative sense. Alec is a young dude, pitched a lot of innings, and he may have learned the hard way. Sometimes you have to. That you've got to structure your off-season conditioning program, bearing in mind not just the workload you've already assumed or not just the workload that you've already you know what you've accomplished but the workload ahead um so the first question you know to ask ross atkins about alec manoa is simply all right you sent him down to the florida complex league what does he need to work on in other words before we can even begin to guess when he's going to be back what are the parameters Right. We know this is a process-driven organization. We know that there are boxes he has to tick, literally, because that's the way the Jays do things. So Ross Atkins was asked what Alec Manoa needs to work on at the Florida Complex League. What will he need to do for 
him to return here? What specifically will yeah. he need to kind of um, show you? I know. I know it's difficult for um, you know maybe some, maybe not some uh, to when they hear the consistency within a delivery and mechanics and what that means for the results and the outcome. But it is so subtle and so small that patterns create. And if the wrong pattern starts to create, making that adjustment while competing can become too difficult. So I think getting him out of the most competitive environment in the world and allowing for him to create a new pattern closer to the one he had in previous years is what needs to occur. And having the resources we have in Dunedin, having the resources we have in people, I am confident with his accountability and conviction to do so that he will write the ship. Okay, Kevin, essentially what the talking about Alec Manoa's pattern and they're talking about that they've spent a lot of time focusing on fastball command, as Ross said, I think, and I don't think Ross is alone in this. Absolutely. It starts with the fastball. No question. So people are going to say, okay, it doesn't sound like much. Do you know what? That sounds like a lot to me. Like just, it sounds simplistic. And I think Ross is right about this. It it just, you know, people are going to look at it and see that seems to be a fine margin thing. Well, it's not a fine margin thing when it's June and you're facing the Houston Astros and you're trying to yeah, it's get thir- this stuff worked It's 13 out. starts into the season deep. That, that's, that's why it's not a small thing. And he was exactly right. Ross was exactly right when he said everything st- starts from the ground up, right? It's a, it's a process. Whatever your feet do, everything else sort of follows. And when you don't have something, whether it's velocity, whether it's break on the slider, you overcompensate for something else. Maybe you get rotational. I've been telling you this mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. sort of spring training when I saw him stand on a mound on, on the backfield throwing. It looked like he was very rotational. Rotational means something starts sooner. Something's playing catch-up. Arm speed just it looked like it was lazy's a bad word to say, but that's sort of what it looked like, right? Sloppy. When, would it's be, sort of, yeah, yeah, you could say any word you want to say there. It just didn't look like it was coming out of the glove. And the last thing you would see is the little snap that you have to have when you when you push off the mountain to have the ball end up to where you want it to have, have it end up. I, I just think it's repeatability, right? That's sort of what this comes down to is how do I, Alec Manoa, have repeatability when it comes to mechanics and everything you do when after you get to sign. And for me, that's what I was hearing whenever I heard Ross talk there was, you know, until he sort of figures out that part of it, whatever that is, conditioning and throwing programs and, and weight programs. We've had this conversation for forever. Yeah. Until he gets sort of that routine, figures all that out, and is able to carry that onto a mound and then when it goes awry, right? When it doesn't work the way you want it to work, he can fix it real quick because his conditioning, his arm strength, his weight program is all where it should be and allows him to be able to fix it quicker. So, yeah, that's what I heard anyway. Yeah, it, it's a... Um, well, as, I mean, people who were looking for an answer as to when Alec Manoa is going to be back, just we just don't know, but it was pretty clear and and ross was asked a lot about this 
This isn't simply he's going to go down, fiddle around at the lab for a couple of days, then go up to Buffalo, pitch a couple of games, and be back here in the next homestand. Folks, that ain't happening. It's a big sample size of bad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It <laughs> is. You That's a great way to put it. Yep. That ain't happening. Nope. So, for me, if we see Alec Manoa after the All-Star break, I mean, that's kind of what I'm Somewhere at. around that. I, I, that's what I would guess, right? It's This is you know, not a, if I, I just hope if, performance if, at the big league level from yeah, other people correct. doesn't rush that part correct. of it. Whatever that part of it is, and everybody can fill in their own blank on what they think that is, just don't rush it. Like, it, this is, again, I hate to say, this is more about Alec Manoa than it is about where the Blue Jays are at and who they don't have and performance at the big league level from the time he got sent down to whenever they're going to call him back up and whatever they need to see that for me, that part of it, I hope is not rushed because when he comes back, you don't want to see this happen again, right? You just Mm -hmm. want, you want to see it to where now he knows when it happens, you know how to fix it. You know how, you know, a couple of pitches into that. I've done it before. Now I've been down there and went through the lab and, you know, everybody's tried to correct me. It's corrected now. And you get to, you hit the ground running, you fix it. Now, of course, there was a lot of focus when you talk about an athlete's conditioning. Um, And, and, you know, folks, you got to move beyond. It's not just a matter of weight. Conditioning is a a bunch of things. Um, But Ross Atkins was asked about uh, Alec Manoa's offseason. And and because, as Kevin said, it's a real big sample size of bad. We're not talking two or three starts here. Uh, We're talking, you know. The first start on 13 starts. So Ross Atkins was asked about Alec Manoa's offseason. Was was there something he did wrong? Was there something he needed to do differently? This was his answer. What did or didn't he do this offseason that put himself in this position? I, I I don't I don't think it comes down to something he didn't do. I think it's it's back to so subtle and how that pattern has created that wasn't allowing him, you know. You know, not to get too specific, in my view, everything works off of your fastball. So uh, not allowing him to create the consistency around that fastball command because of where he was with everything starts from the ground. And then once he got to his release point, it just wasn't as consistent as in years past. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, he's a better person to talk to about slight adjustments that happened over the course of his offseason. Um, but nothing significant or major that gave us reason for concern or we would have caught it. Yeah, and that's, you know, he was in spring training. He was in, uh, he was there for all of spring training. So this is the thing. I, I, I failed to, I've got to think, Kevin, at some point somebody in spring training may have looked at what was going on and go, oh, boy. Absolutely. We might like, have, like, we, like we I, might have a we, problem. We know here. what Ross said there. Like, yeah. you can read between the lines. Like, he's trying to give you the answer he's supposed to give you. Yeah. Like, he's got the players back, and that's the GM's job is to always do that. Like, he also yeah. said, and he was asked specifically about the pitch timer. And Ross said that he didn't think the pitch timer was a major issue, but he thought it might have in some ways contributed to it. In other words, once things started going haywire just didn't have as much time to gather himself as he did in the past we talked about this he was a slow worker last year and this is i I don't know i don't know if anybody can be blamed here for this but and i'm not a big fan of comparing one pitcher to another but i look at two guys in this team i was worried about 
coming into spring training because of the pitch timer. It's Kevin Gossman and Alec Manoa for a variety of reasons. And Kevin Gossman has made the adjustments he needed to break, to make from the get-go. And there was a lot of focus on Kevin Gossman. Basically, the Bach rule, a lot of stuff. Kevin Gossman was the video. This is the, See what this guy's doing? Don't do this. And I don't think whether Alec didn't realize what it was going to involve, I don't think he was necessarily quick enough to make that adjustment. That's not me. I'm not in that camp. Like that, he's a finalist for a Cy Young last year. Like, you know, he's he's a big man, but he's a he's a good athlete. Like, it's not it's not like every single time. I mean, there were some games there where it would run down to one, two, and three, and that's that's why base runners were running all over the place and stealing bases off him. That's that for me. I mean, I, if you if, if people want to make that as an excuse for him, go ahead. That's not me. I don't think anybody's making an excuse. I'm saying they're me. saying it might be a contributing factor. And I don't. I, 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 I think. It, I, think it, I think if you think take care of all the other stuff, I think we're not having we're not having that conversation about that. That's me. Everybody's got their opinion, and I'm sure there's a lot of opinions. Uh, Ross Atkins was also asked about the lineup. He was asked about trades, and yes, the organ the Jays are looking outside the organization. Uh, for help, to. newsflash. They, they're going to have to. Yeah, they're going to have to. <laughs> yeah. uh, and again, we've made the point. I think the the approach with Alec Manoa is when if you get him back, it's gravy. And um, you could argue, you know, yeah. And, and also, you know, it was kind of interesting. Ross's Ross answering questions about the lineup kind of kind of sounded like you in that he was very bullish about the lineup. When Vladdy's raking, hmm. and he was asked about Vladdy right now, uh, both where he is at the plate and specifically about whatever issues he may be. Again, he hasn't hit a home run at the Rogers Center. Whatever issues he may be having. 102 at bats. 102 at bats. Thank you, Barker. And uh, one home run off a non-pitcher in the last... Stay stay hot. Stay hot. (laughs) Anyhow, he was asked about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. This was Ross Atkins' answer. With Vladdy especially, where do you see maybe areas of improvement? Where do you get improvement? Vladdy, you just, you know, it it could be, it's, you know, the snap of a finger for him where, um, you know, it's such a fine motor skill and he's so talented that... You know, I, I, I don't worry. So what what I see every time he comes to the plate is I still see fear. And, you know, I know that he is going to be a force for this team. Any explanation for some of his... Fear from the pitchers. Yeah. Um, for some of his um, home struggles, specifically hitting home runs here, he doesn't have one yet. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, that's back to the mental, yeah. you know, part. And is there some of that in there? I think he cares so much and loves being here so much. So... Is there the potential of him trying to, you know, put the team on his back and this city he's so proud to play for? Does he feel some um, heightened expectation of himself? You know, again, it's something to talk to him about. Do you think the pressure's gotten to him? I I hope not. Or the conversation around Vladdy for me is going to change. Like, I, I, I've separated Vladdy in a whole different category than everybody else offensively. 
he does things offensively to baseballs that most humans shouldn't be able to do. The, 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 and if you're not, if you're the GM of the Toronto Blue Jays and you're not worried about the at bats that he has consistently, huh? Well, maybe you're watching a different game than I'm watching. I, I mean, he, he's not all the time a hard out, is he? No. Consistently, me and you watch every single at bat, every single pitch. We've seen pitching coaches run out there, and I don't, I can't, you know, they hold their hand over their mouth, but I can guess what they're saying. Let him get himself out. You don't, have to, you don't have to make a perfect pitch here. Start it in the strike zone. Have it end up a ball. He'll get himself out. That's the thing for me is puzzling. He's a human being. He's a young kid. I guess he's a man. But all those things when you talk about elite players, I don't understand the conversation around him all the time. For you know, Fix what you're swinging at. Well, why is that? I, that's the question I, I, I wonder is why is that so hard this year to do? Well, I don't understand that. Mm. that that's, that's, it's not mechanical. I like you can sit in there and take a four billion swings in a batting cage until you get your pitch. It's going to look exactly the way it looks consistently. That's, that's for me what I don't understand. Like the talent and all that stuff and, you know, the hard hit percentage, <laughs> that's all there. It's just I just that for that part of the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. thing in 2023 is I just don't understand that part of it. He's not a hard out. He's hitting third for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I'm with you, boy. He'd make a lot of coaches sleep really good at night if he could stop swinging at some things, work some counts. Now I'm not for working counts. I'm for being aggressive, but be aggressive with things that you can do damage on. Yeah, count leverage. Yeah, that's the one thing, and I, that's puzzling for me, Jeff. Like I just don't understand that why he consistently goes up and swings at the same thing over and over and over again. It's puzzling. <sighs> yeah, and, and it's something that I mean, gosh, we've talked about this since the, for, for how long with Vladdy, uh, and, and I've made the point. Uh, I know people don't always necessarily believe this, but I am a firm believer that the other team will tell you what they think of you. And I do not see other teams spending a great deal of time. I'm sure the conversation has changed. Don't let sure. Bo Bichette beat us. Oh, 100%. And be careful with Vladdy. 100%. That, that's the not? conversation. Didn't used to be that way because yeah. me and you've had conversations with, with yep. people that come into town to face the Blue Jays, and it's opposite. Of, used to be opposite of that. Mm-hmm. It's not that way anymore. No. And... That's too bad. It, it, it's funny what Ross says about a snap of the fingers. You can see it. I don't know if I see that anymore. I see you know, it, and, I and, see and it reason, when he gets a good pitch to hit. Yeah. But how consistently does he get that? But I've seen him. We've seen him have games where he's had a couple of hits, and you, you start thinking, okay, it's going to come around. Maybe that's a sign. Green shoots, et cetera, et cetera. Look, mm. we all want to be optimists with Vladdy. We, we well, we're doing a little begging. Yeah, we we, yeah. we, but, we but, are. But we want to be optimists yeah. with Vladdy. We do. Because we realize how important he is to this. They could go to a whole different this, level with him yeah. hot. Like and, a whole and different I, level. And I think that's you know one of the things Ross said today in the answer. And I, I kind of agree with him is um, he called his, he said he thinks the offense can be a locomotive. I, you know, I don't, I don't know about a, a, a locomotive, but until... Vladdy gets it going, Kevin. I, I don't know 
I don't know if we know what this lineup can do. I, I like what I've seen from Brandon Belt. I think Whit yeah. Merrifield, Kevin oh. Kiermaier. No, but I mean, I look yeah. at this lineup, and I, you know, there's some guys. George Springer's game is picking up sure, a bit. Sure, Bo's, Bo's been for, there all year, and you ask yourself, okay, if Flatty gets going mm-hmm. and all this other stuff is working, you know, we had we're going to be joined by Bill Ripken. Bill Ripken was on MLB Network. Was it earlier today? You were yeah. ta- we yeah. were talking, and. He and John Heyman, Ron, both of them picked the Jays to go to the World Series, yeah. and they're both sitting there saying, yeah, I can still see it going. Now, they were talking about the terrific pitching, the starting pitching the Jays have been getting. There, there's a good point. But, you know, that is the that is the thing, man. Yeah, realistically, do you think the starting pitching that you see when the Blue Jays are playing the way they're playing, can it consistently look that like that the rest of the season? You would think, uh, like there'll be some there'll be some valleys in that, right? But I can tell you this. With a hot Vladimir Guerrero Jr., now all of a sudden your starting pitching can be good. Doesn't have to be great all the time. Yeah. That's the difference. I, I will I will say this. I think it might be able to be this good because a lot to ask. They've already had some valleys. Uh, it's a lot still a lot there, to ask. There there have been some some valleys. Oh yeah, I'm not saying that that you know Chris Bassett's gonna throw eighty one pitches over eight innings every, yeah. every every night out, but he and Kevin Gossman are tied for innings pitched. In the majors. Mm-hmm. And what we said at the start of the year was look at all the good playoff teams last year. Yep. They all had one thing in common. They got a ton of innings out of their starting pitchers yep. so that when the postseason rolled around, their bullpen is fresh. Abused. And then you can, yeah, then you can shred it. <laughs> no you, then it can be. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, then you can just shred it yeah. into like, into string cheese do if you, you want your do. bullpen to, you to, to win at that point. Yeah. And the Jays have taken steps toward that. And it really is remarkable they've taken steps towards that, given everything that's gone on with Alec Manoa. Now, tonight's dude, Jose Barrios, if he continues to keep it together, that is only uh, going to make that situation even better. We haven't gotten around to the lineup yet. We will. And I want to talk about Anthony Bass in a minute. But tonight's lineup is George Springer leading off. Bichette, Guerrero, Chapman, Alejandro Kirk is in the fifth spot. He's behind the plate. Brandon Belt. Is hitting sixth. He's DHing Whit Merrifield and left Santi Espinal at second base. Kevin Kiermeyer in center field, and as we mentioned, Jose Barrios on the mound. Um, it is Pride Weekend, or Pride Weekend is coming up at the Rogers Center. The Jays have a bunch of festivities, and Ross Atkins today uh, spent. I mean, I didn't put the timer on ten it. Ten minutes, man. More than ten minutes of his media availability talking about because it was. The first time anybody, other than a statement, it was the first time anybody in the organization kind of really responded to uh, the situation that arose when Anthony Bass, uh, a couple of uh, couple of weeks ago, uh, liked an Instagram account um, and then doubled down on it. And basically, it was a, I'm not going to read the exact, I'm not going to read the whole account, but it was a hate-filled account directed to the to LGBTQ plus community. Um, you know, focusing on that nonsensical issue in the United States about, uh, and not just the United States, but about some of the some companies that are were aiming marketing, um, aiming marketing uh, programs at that particular community. And when I say nonsensical, because as I made the point, and and I'm just going to say this because it it. It's based the the negative reaction to those marketing initiatives, if you want to call it that, is based on the flawed idea that my human rights are somehow taken away from me if you 
gain human rights. It's, it's like it's and I, and I, I, I try to tell I always try to tell try to tell my daughter this as well when we talk about it. it. It's not it's not a finite thing. Like there's not a box that's a human rights box. And then if I get this and you get that, well, you're taking something away that I could have or because I have it. Well, we're running out of human rights. You can't have it. I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's everybody has the right to be treated with dignity and the right to um, live however they want to live and love whoever they want to love. I mean, it's just, it's, well said. and if you, you know, if you take offense to that, I mean, that's on you. Anyhow, Anthony Bass, uh, came out and um, uh, apologized, a very brief apology, um, didn't make himself available for a broader, uh, a broader discussion. He's done some interviews since, but it's like anything else, right? You only get one chance to make that apology. And making apologies is more difficult than it used to be. But the fact of the matter is, if you're not, if people don't think you're sincere and you start, it's not that you backpedal, but if people don't think you're sincere, it's like your reaction is, okay, I've got to keep saying more. I've got to keep saying more. I've got to keep saying more. And and at the end of the day, you, you... I mean, you're left with with basically a word salad for the most part. So Ross Atkins was asked about that today, about how, about the process, how it was decided that Anthony Bass would, uh, you know, he I know he's met with the director of Pride Toronto and, and how he would attempt to, I mean, they can't re- rehabilitate the wrong word, but how he would go about making amends, how would, how would he, how he would go about changing the dialogue around this, how he would go about basically becoming a better person in terms of understanding these issues. And this was Ross Atkins. Ross Atkins' answer today when he was asked about that meeting when he and Anthony Bass, and Anthony Bass talked to his teammates about it and talked to the coaching staff, but he also talked to the general manager. And this was Ross Atkins talking about that meeting. Mentioned the authenticity of his, of his apology. What did he apologize for specifically? For creating any harm and for hurting others, and um, you know, was not his intent. And his emotion was very strong, as was mine. Um, you know, I was personally hurt myself, and uh, he felt my disappointment and anger. So it was a very charged exchange. That was Ross Atkins talking about the exchange he had with Anthony Bass, and. Um, you know, of course, Anthony Bass has made a couple of appearances here since then, and and he's been booed. Um, and you know, look, I'm people can boo. People have the right to, to voice their opinions about everything. Thank God, or we well, wouldn't be, we wouldn't have a show. Um, and I, I, I'll just be flat out honest. I, the dam- to me, the damage is done. You would think so. To me, the damage is done. Um, And the question now for the Blue Jays is 
what are the next steps? We know that Anthony Bass is, um, you know, is being presented and studying. And then, I mean, Major League Baseball and uh, the Blue Jays, they do have various tools to use in these things. I mean, this is an, an, an issue Major League Baseball has and other professional leagues have attempted to deal with. Uh, but the point is, again, we get back to check checklists and checking off boxes. I think there's a large group of Blue Jays fans and employees and other people who it's not checking. I took this course. I took this course. I took this course. I said this. I met with this guy. I met with this guy. It's never going to be enough for them. And I'm not saying I think it should be enough for them. But it's it's an issue that um, you know, from the Blue Jays' point of view, I think the only way it gets resolved so it's not a an issue over the organization is at some point Anthony Bass moves on. Um, that, that's yeah, that's something just else the they have to deal is. with, right? They're trying to make a run at this thing, and and now that you know Ross has some moves to make, like there's. There's some big moves here, right? You you could you could argue they need another bat. You could argue they need another bullpen arm. All of a sudden now with the Alec Manoa thing, they could use another starter because of what they don't have at the minor league level. Like now, Ross all of a sudden on a good team has a lot to do. So yeah, there's a lot going on there. And yeah, it was a uh, yeah it was a fairly long media availability today with a lot to talk about from the Blue Jays' point of view. Again, we've got a big show ahead. Bill Ripken joins us. Mike Stanton, Astros analyst, Dan Schulman as well. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan Sportsnet, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, 707 is the first pitch tonight as the Jays wrap up their series with the Houston Astros. Jose Barrios on the mound against Fromber Valdez. Uh, the Jays have uh, won. Uh, you're right. No, you're, I, was, I was looking over oh, you. Coffee. Coffee. Two of three oh. games against the Astros. Chris Bassett pitching a gem last night. Let's bring in Dan Schulman. He'll have the call of the game tonight uh, on Sportsnet. Mr. Schulman, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us. Boy, I mean, it, it, you, know, you want to talk about a well? Anytime the general manager comes out and talks, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's just a. I don't know if I'd say it's a newsy day, but certainly a lot of stuff gets talked about. Um, a, a question for you about Vladdy Jr. in particular, because we've been having this discussion. Look, you spend a ton of time around the team. You're with them on the road. Does anybody have any idea, Danny, why he hasn't homered at the Rogers Center yet? <laughs> well, uh, I, I mean, it's obviously at least, and good to be with you guys, at least uh, a little bit. It's just one of these, I think, statistically fluky, quirky kinds of things. It's like, uh, you know, day-night sometimes. Who knows if there's any good reason for it. Except after a while, I think a thing becomes a thing. And, and maybe mm-hmm. it's in your head and you're trying too hard and, and – um, you know, there are sometimes I see Vladdy, and, and I'm no expert, but I see Vladdy 
having great at-bats and taking close pitches and looking like he's really locked in and he hits the ball really hard somewhere. And then there are other times where it has seemed to me this year like he's come out of his approach a little bit and he's trying to lift the ball and pull the ball and maybe jumping out a little bit early. So maybe the swing decisions aren't quite as good. I I thought he started off the year with a phenomenal approach. Phenomenal. And then I think it's kind of been hit and miss, no pun intended, with that approach the rest of the way. So it's got to be on his mind. I mean, he's a 24-year-old star player who's supposed to hit a ton of home runs, and he hasn't hit one here at home yet this year. Um, it, it's funny how, in in general, how much of a pitcher's park this has been this year. That wasn't supposed to be the way that it is. Mm. And again, it may be just one of those fluky things, right? 25-game sample or whatever. But if you look at the number of runs the Jays have scored here compared to on the road and the number of runs they've allowed here, compared to on the road the numbers are way way lower here at the rogers center we all thought it would be a bandbox, right they're bringing the fences in there's going to be a million home runs hasn't been that way uh at all but uh i you know hopefully once he breaks the ice he really breaks the ice and and gets going and we keep hearing things like he's close he looks good you know things like that but um, kind of still waiting for the volcano to erupt, I guess. Dan, you just mentioned about uh, about his approach and what he what he swings at, and then sometimes it's not real good. You, you think they ever have a thought of maybe flip flopping him and Bo? Right? It's it's that thing because of where he swings at certain pitches. It's not the pitch; it's the location of the pitch. Right? right if he's right. going up looking breaking ball, no matter where that breaking ball's at, he's swinging at it. I just wonder. Now, sometimes two wrongs don't make a right. I understand that, and the dude hitting in front of him is having an MVP season. I just wonder because if Flatty would start to go, everything else would just sort of fall in place, and people get a lot more sleep. I wonder if they've <laughs> ever thought about. I wonder if they've ever thought about flip flopping those two guys, yeah. maybe just for a week to see what it looked like. So, do you think because like having Bo behind him, giving Vladdy more protection, would help him get better pitches? Is that Absolutely. Your like maybe yeah. it would think maybe it would make it a little easier because now he's thinking more about getting on base yeah. than driving Bo in, who's always on base. I don't think they'll do it because I, I think they don't want to risk messing with the other guy, sure. which is what you you know as you just said, he's having a phenomenal season. And do you want to? You might help one guy, but you don't want to mess up the other guy. Not that it would necessarily, obviously, but but who's going great? But but it's it, it's it's funny where we sit here and say, boy, wouldn't it be nice if Vladdy had protection behind him in the lineup? Because you know Vladdy's supposed to be his own protection, right? I mean, he's his own yeah. guy. You know, he's supposed to be able to. And, and the bar is so high. Like the guy's got an eight ten OPS or something like that, which is about a one thirty OPS plus. But because he's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and what he did in 2021, you know, he's supposed to hit 300 with 50 homers and driving 125 runs. And it's obviously proving to be a little bit more difficult than that. I, I don't know what gets him going. I, If I had to guess, it's just laying off a few more pitches and going back to – and I'm a real sucker for hitting the ball the other way. I yeah. will tell you that. Mm-hmm. And, and I include – center field in that like up the middle in the other way Mm -hmm. um and and not all of them will go out of the ballpark right some will be caught at the fence and there will be some line drive doubles off the fence and all that but i believe if he gets back into really good a really good approach and really good habits the home runs will come and and uh, eventually so like like what's going on now isn't working great 
uh, obviously. And again, a lot of guys would you know trade their soul in for an eight ten OPS, <laughs> but but he's not that guy. But to me, it's it's he's he looks like he's chasing a little more, mm-hmm. and he's trying to hit home runs. And you know, again, as I say every week when I come on with you guys, I will always defer to Kevin on this kind of stuff. But uh, it it kind of looks like when you try to hit home runs, sure. it's harder to hit home runs, right? And and. Uh, let him get back to hitting rockets off the fence for singles and doubles. Let's start there and see where it goes. 60 games in, Dalton Varsho has more homers. Believe that. Yeah. So so it's funny. I said, on well, two things. Um, the bar bet you can win is that Dalton Varsho hit more home runs than Teoscar Hernandez did last year, right? And, mm-hmm. and people have talked about giving up the power in the trades. I, I don't see it that way. I think the reason they're not scoring as many runs is because some of the guys who were on the team last year aren't hitting as well as they did last year. But um, a couple of days ago, I think it was with Buck, I, I think it was on this homestand, uh, I said, like, this wouldn't even have been a conversation at the beginning of the year, but if you had a pool right now, who will lead this team in home runs at the end of the season? Like, you could pick Vladdy, of course. Mm-hmm. You could pick Varsho. Wouldn't be super crazy. You could pick Bo Bichette. I mean, he's got the lead right mm-hmm. now. He's up to 14 right now. Varsho's got 11. Um, you know, who knows how it's going to sort itself out. George Springer, you know, could be George Springer. Who, who knows? But, I mean, that that's somewhere where, you know, unless the odds were overwhelming, we'd have all bet a loony on Vladdy at the beginning of the season. But Varsho's obviously feeling more comfortable. He talked about it extensively yesterday with me and Buck and Hazel in three separate conversations, amazingly enough. All three of us went to him with the same conversation, the poor guy. But, <laughs> you know, how hard it is when you get traded the first time, wanting to prove to your teammates that you belong. You know, it's a very common story, right? We've we've heard it before. Um, and then you're hitting cleanup on a team expected to play in the World mm-hmm. Series. And then the two guys you get traded for both get off to a great start, and one of them is still crushing the ball. Uh, like, there was a lot going on for Dalton Varsho, and, and he told me that his dad keeps reinforcing to him um, just let your ability come through. Like, don't uh, you can't squeeze the bat tighter. This isn't football. You can't rush the line of scrimmage harder and hit a guy harder. And it doesn't work that way in baseball. And, and Varsho told me he's a perfectionist and he's a Type A guy, and he always finds fault in himself. And that's a lot to juggle when you get traded to a world supposed World Series contender and get put in the cleanup spot at the beginning of the year. So I think he's just now settling in over the last couple of weeks. Dan, one very quick question before he let you run. Uh, we had a caller in Blue Jays talk last night talk about Dalton Varsho drawing that walk and the timer violation, but I think it was Hector Neris. And his the caller's point was, it's June 7th. Why are guys still doing this are you surprised we're still seeing like and i made the point uh, i i'm kind of surprised we're still seeing hitters get called for it not so much pitchers because pitchers got a lot going on but are you surprised we're still seeing it yes and jose abreu had one was it two well it was chris bassett no it was chris bassett so yes jose abreu had one i can't remember if there was a runner on base but they i think abreu called a timeout and when a hitter calls a timeout Bassett leaves the mound. He goes right. for a walk. Yeah, there was no runner right. on base. There wasn't there was a runner, no runner on base. On base. No. So Bassett goes for a walk, and he's looking out at center field. Bassett doesn't have to be up back on the mound with eight seconds left on the clock. He just has to start throwing the pitch by one, by right. zero, right. basically. So Abreu calls a timeout, and then he's looking out at Bassett, and Bassett's kind of walking around, and the next thing you know, it's a timing violation on Abreu. And I'm not saying that Bassett baited him or lulled him into that. 
But I was going to ask Chris Bassett if I mm. saw him today, but I didn't see him today. And, I, and I'm going to ask him first time. like Because if you had to pick a guy to do that sort of thing, it would be Chris Bassett. Okay, oh, yeah. you want to call a timeout? I'll, you, know, you go relax. I'll be back when it's time to pitch. And, and that like Jose Abreu is not a kid. He's 35, 36 years old. Like, he should know the rules. Um, but, yeah, I am a little bit surprised. Um, remember, Bassett took a ball intentionally in a game against the Yankees That's a few right. weeks ago yes. because he just yeah he just couldn't uh, didn't know what he wanted to throw or couldn't get together with the cat whatever mm-hmm. so uh i it, it seems like they kind of dwindled down to almost zero and now there's been like a like a second wave like a mini a mini wave like an earthquake aftershock or something where they're they're coming back up now and, and i am surprised by it because Boy, oh boy, if that happens in September in a pennant race game for a strike three or mm. all four, and heaven forbid if it happens in October, right? So, mm. um, but I, I am a little bit surprised. And I, I, I'm sure you could find this thing online, how many violations there have been on each team and that sort of thing. I have no concept if the Blue Jays are, you know, top of the heap, bottom of the heap, or in the middle. It doesn't right. seem like they've been too bad. But, um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I know in talking to Blue Jays people, when – it's happened. Some of it's on the catchers. Like if the pitcher can't get the pitch off in time and there's nobody on base, the pitcher cannot just disengage with nobody on base and call timeout. It, it doesn't work that way. The catcher has to get up and say to the umpire, mound visit and run out to the mound mm-hmm. to save the pitcher from having a violation. With a man on base, you can disengage. Whether you throw or not doesn't matter. But with nobody on base, you can't. And I think some of the players are still a little bit fuzzy on some of the rules. And here we are, June the 8th. Danny, we're going to let you run. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Look forward to your call tonight. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Thanks. See you soon. Absolutely. Dan Shulman, TV voice of the Blue Jays. 707 will be the first pitch on Sportsnet. And right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan with Ben Wagner and uh, Chris LaRue bringing you the call. I'm looking forward to this night. Because I feel when Jose Barrios is on the mound, when when Barrios is on the mound and he's doing well, I sit back and I think to myself, I sit back and I think of my, I look at myself and with an immense amount of satisfaction, I Mm. go, you're the only person in the city who had faith in this guy. Uh, Yeah, that's not true. I mean, you had faith in him for about the first 12 starts. And then after that, you couldn't run over to my side fast enough. That's not uh, let's, true. Let's not lie about it. Like, you're, you're, you're fibbing a little. Okay. The only like, person. I, okay. He's the only person I mean, on he, the Jose. He earned was, us being hard on him last year. Yeah, all right? He, he earned it. Yeah. Now this year, because all those changes, you, every once in a while you got to go home, look yourself in the mirror and go, yeah, hey, yeah, 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 that's yeah. not All working. I told you, believe, believe in the pitcher, believe in the athlete. Seriously. Well, anytime you can throw your two cents in there and take credit for something, I'm sure you'll do it. Oh, but that. Well, why not? What's rare? rare. It's rare that you get it right. Not rare. It's pretty rare. Now you sound like Billy and Markham. (laughs) By the way, Barker and myself will be doing the Blue Jays talk tonight. I'm sure John will do something you don't like, Billy. Four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety star five ninety one triple eight triple six zero five ninety. Billy, call up right now. We'll get you on sometime <laughs> around I don't know nine thirty ten o'clock. Anyhow, um, be nice. Oh, I am nice. I love Bill. Billy's great. Hey, he challenges you, mm. right? He calls up and says, "Why did the doughhead manager take starting pitcher out after eighty one pitches and go to his closer?" Eh. That's and you know what? And 
He wasn't the only. We had another guy call up. He wasn't the only guy. A lot of people thought that. But then, as Chris Bassett explained, I've given up two hits. I've given up two hits. The leadoff hitter basically (laughs) dominates me. If you hadn't noticed, he had a home run already off a really good pitch. Yeah. The slider in that he hit was about six inches in off the plate that only Jordan can hit out. And see, now, okay, we're not going to tell tales out of school Mm -hmm. here. But I know that in the course of conversations we've had with John Schneider in the field, you've actually, you've talked to him about how you go about taking a pitcher out of the game. And we're not talking about what goes into it. We're saying, what's a conversation like? Is it, hey, dude, come here for a minute, grab some pine, or is it, yeah, hey? I think, well, sometimes I think it's like that, depending on how his past pitching has been. Right. But we also know John was very clear that, hey, when it's a guy who's absolutely rolling or a guy who's doing good, how do you do Here's it? what we know. Here, Here's what's happened to you in the past. Yeah. Here's what's happened to you in the game against the three guys you're about to face. Yeah. What do you think? You give your two cents, we'll give ours. And then if the good two cents says we got that guy in the bullpen who can throw pretty hard yeah. and can, you know, element of surprise a little bit, and I know he gave up a leadoff double with a slider. Yeah, we roll our eyes about the slider. And then he he struck a guy out with a fastball. Do that a little bit more, and yeah. we won't be rolling our eyes. But the point is, right, you, you do what's best for everybody around. And I continue to say it, and I said it last night. It worked. Like, it's not like it didn't work. I don't want, and and I'll just be flat out, like I'm not, again, I'm not a, you know, I don't run away from khakis the way you do. They don't scare me. I don't wake up in sweats at night with, you know, khaki ghosts hovering over my bed or anything like that. Like, I mean, you've got, you've got got a fear of khakis. I I don't have a fear of khakis, but I also, (laughs) I also, you do, you have a fear of khakis. Raise your hand and say that. No, you go to the, I'll tell you what. I've been told. I've been, told, been told. I've been told that yeah. when you when you when you go to the gap or one of those places, if you see khakis, I've been told you break it out does. in a cold or sweat. Or I take a picture of it and, or put, it it and put it on Instagram. <laughs> but um but I will say this. I'm 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 a big fan of not having a guy face Jordan Alvarez, Kyle yeah, Tucker four times. It's not in a like game. they're trying to lose. Yeah. I think it's it's Anyhow. not. Let's see how we can screw this up. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, not. Uh, it's time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new ball game. Mark Boffo, drop some knowledge on us, or at least give us some props or a prop, and we'll give you props if you know what I mean. Oh, I, I know what you mean. Uh, we're going to move off the Blue Jays tonight, guys. What? I know. I'm we, happy. We got a uh, we got an NL East matchup tonight going on in Atlanta between Spencer Strider and Justin Verlander in the Braves and Mets game. Uh, Let's take a look at Justin Verlander tonight. Over under five and a half strikeouts. He uh, is on the mound tonight. His last outing was against the Jays on Friday. How will Mr. Verlander do tonight? Jeff, Mm. go ahead. Five and a half? I'm taking the under. I I mean, he's... he's be quiet. He he threw a season <laughs> high. He set the major league high for pitches by a starting pitcher in his last start. I understand yeah, no, that. I'm taking the under. Yeah, I'm what's that, the what's under. that got to do with anything? Well, what's what's 117 pitches I'm got to do with anything? I'm yeah, taking the under. Yeah, not me. Max Scherzer in the, in the start that was last the night. Hell does Max Scherzer have to do with it? Because he punched out ten Braves. Yeah, but he's okay. Max Scherzer. Well, he's got the same exact stuff that Verlander has. He's got a four seamer, a slider, and a curveball. Look at you and the, your the, logic. The, the, the last time Verlander pitched against the Blue Jays, he threw his slider slower, which allowed him to have more swings against it, more called strikes against it, more whiffs against it. 
And this will be his first start against Atlanta since 2016. Mm. The only reason I'm saying this is because that is a little bit of an element of surprise, right? You haven't seen my stuff. Might get on you a little bit. That way, by the time you do get on on me, it's the fifth or sixth inning already. And, oh, by the way, he is a competitor. Strider's throwing against him. You know he's going to bow his chest out and do say, I'm a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm going way over on that one. I'll tell you what. Verlander, Verlander, Justin Verlander will have more innings pitched than strikeouts tonight. That's what you said. Didn't you say this? How no. About, total basis from Bo Bichette, that didn't work out. Wow. Blind squirrel meeting up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gave, you, I gave you some knowledge and what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah big fly. Yeah, I hate it when you bring knowledge to things. You know, that it, con- it confuses me when you bring knowledge. While you're getting coffee. You catch me off. While you're getting coffee, I'm doing homework. I know. Okay. Uh, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new ball game, And it's a whole new hour for us. I think I said that yesterday. So Keep I'll it going. I think it works. I segue. think it works. I'm not certain it does. I like to be a little more original. I've got all this paper here. How many trees did I kill today? Uh, Bill Ripken, MLB Network Analyst, is going to join us. Always a treat to talk to Bill. He'll have a lot of thoughts, I'm sure, on Vladdy. We're also going to give – I have a little Brandon Belt. A little Brandon Belt love at some point in this show, too. Because mm. Brandon Belt has, has, uh, had a nice, uh, has had a nice year for himself. We'll talk to uh, Bill Ripken about that. we got to talk about Luis Arias. Dude's hitting 400. I don't know, man. And Mike Stanton, Houston Astros studio analyst and three-time World Series champion, will be along. We'll take a uh, look at the Astros ahead of tonight's game. Final game before game series. 707 is the first pitch. Don't go anywhere. We are your pregame show. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. Fan, Sportsnet. stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. evident i think and what it is it's it's more in line with what he's been his whole career um conviction location execution things like that um it is easy to kind of get lost in the shuffle when you're going behind kev and chris uh, with the way they've been performing but hosey's been just as consistent i think um he's been a big part of what we're doing he's been efficient with his pitches he was efficient against them last time at houston um yeah he's been kind of exactly what we expected that is Jay's manager, John Schneider, talking today ahead of yep. tonight's game between the Astros and the Jays. Jose Berrios on the mound. Just like Varsho hit behind the two big boys in front of him. Put, put Vladdy in front of Bo for a week, see what happens. Now I'm just trying to get on base instead of trying to drive in Bo all the time. It's a big difference in your bats. How could you bring short to it and long through it? That's all you're thinking now. You brought Barrios. Because I was thinking about that. Vladdy. Because it, John mentioned it's real easy to, oh, I got to be just like the two dudes that just pitched in front of me. Oh, I got to be as good as they are. Go seven scoreless or eight scoreless and make the manager take me out with 81 pitches and two runs. It's not the easiest thing to do. That's mm-hmm. my point. Well, I guess when you put it that way, 
Um, I'm not certain hitting Flatty in front of Bo. What else? You, what do you got to lose? We we know for a fact that Bo will move to the cleanup spot. We will. We don't. Uh, Bill Ripken is MLB Network analyst. Maybe he has an answer for this. Mr. Ripken, thank you for joining Kevin Barker and myself. We have spent way too much time, unfortunately, way too much time talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this year. All he needs to do, Bill, is hit a home run at the Rogers Center and we can put it to bed. Um, look, I, I, I know... Uh, what? Is, is that... Okay. He is a... He's a really good hitter. He is a gold glove. All, all of that stuff. Is not hitting a home run at the Rogers Center, is that just a thing? 102 at best. Like, like one of those, like Dan Shulman said, one of those he hits better in the daytime than he does in the nighttime. Is it just, is it just a thing? I, I think it's just a thing. And, and look, when I was listening to your commentary earlier about short to it, long through it, it's nice to hear normal baseball-type <laughs> conversation uh, being thrown out there. And to me, that kind of philosophy, the short to it, long through it, yeah just means I'm staying on the baseball Mm -hmm. and I'm not spinning off. I'm not pulling. I'm not trying to do too much. And when hitters are in a good streak, they do the short to it, long through it effortlessly. And when they're not in a good streak and they're trying to do maybe a little bit too much, uh, it kind of gets outside of that envelope. But look, when you're talking about your boys up there and you're talking about Vlad Jr., um, I think that the track record is going to come through uh, soon enough. It's very nice to see uh, Bo Bichette doing the things that he's doing because he's putting himself in conversation to be talked about as an MVP, which is really cool. So I, I think at the beginning of the year when I looked at you boys, I said, you know what? The Blue Jays play the Padres uh, in the in the World Series. Now, I got two fourth-place teams uh, working. But the Padres are looking a lot different as far as their fourth place compared to what the Blue Jays are doing right now in the American League East. So I think there's good things ahead still uh, for Toronto. Today's a pretty big game for you boys, though. Uh, Let's not sugarcoat it. I know it's early in the year, but you took the first two, right, uh, from Mm -hmm. Houston, and you're going up against Framber. And this dude ain't no day at the beach. So this is a huge – and maybe not huge, big game for the Blue Jays up there in Toronto. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I got to ask, you've been, you've been around a, a lot of really, really good hitters. And whenever really good hitters go long periods of time with swinging at stuff they're not supposed to be swinging at, how, how is the conversation that you've noticed different with those guys than it is, say, some conversation with Kevin Barker when he was swinging at stuff he wasn't <laughs> supposed to be swinging at? We're having a conversation with myself in my own head. Um, yeah. Look, here's here's the reality of things. Um, even the good ones, even the great ones, uh, sit in their locker sometimes like they just lost their dog. <laughs> and I, I I played with enough guys, and I'm looking down there at guys that are you know perennial 300 hitters during the thing, and it looks like they lost their dog and. I I yelled out at him. I go, hey, come down here and sit in this locker for a while. Um, I, I'll show you kind of what it feels like. Um, it, it's amazing the psyche, the 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 human psyche, and even the good ones have doubt that creeps into their mind sometimes. Now, they have the ability to get out to out of it a lot quicker because their talent was higher than most of us to play the game in the first place, but. 
it, it always amazed me as a lifetime 247 hitter, that's what I finished up my career at, to look down at a locker and see a 300 hitter, perennial 300 hitter, sit there like he can't find anything. And I'm going, man, um, come down here for a little bit. But it, it's, it, it's, it's an amazing thing because the human psyche is such. And I think it just also points out to us once again that we're humans to play this game. We're not machines to go out there. And when something's not quite right, even the good ones reach and and suffer from time to time, shall we say. Billy, what do you think a good season for Brandon Belt would be for the Blue Jays? Um, you know, come up with some big knocks. Uh, yeah. uh, he did that the other day. I, I did a segment where I was looking at the box scores when he played the Mets, and he punched out four times and he hit a two-run homer. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, is that a good day in today's game? So I, I do a segment called Ripping Open the Box Scores. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm old school, like looking at a box score and seeing what jumps out at me. Now, that game, when I dug into it, he should have been uh, one for three with two punch outs and two walks um, because the umpire got him twice. Um, I think Brandon Belt's a really good player i think he battles at home plate and i think he's one of those type players that the blue jays can use and i think he's going to come up big i, I don't want to put a number on him because i'm not so sure how the play in time is going to play out and and span out but i like when the dude's in the batter's box it, it's one of those um it just goes to show you there's no one set way to do it yep. i don't think it necessarily looks the prettiest when he's doing things um, but he's a big old dude that understands the strike zone. And for some reason, the big old dude's got this short kind of weird swing. But when he can barrel some stuff up, he can do some things. So in his particular case, when it's one for five with four punch outs, but yeah, the two run homer gets you a W that's a big day. So I, I look for him to be able to do some of those things. Uh, and, and when he gets right, he, he too can be one of those streaky dudes that might throw some crooked numbers up on the board for you in a hurry. Bill, what would your level of concern be with Alec Manoa? I I, I would lie to you if I said it wasn't, you know, concerning. Um, Look, I I saw – I don't see too many games live and in person. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a couple that I've seen over the past few years, and one of them was him. And when I do check out a game in B-more, it's from the front row seats. And I checked out Alec Manoa, and I'm watching him pitch a couple years back. Uh, if it wasn't last year, I'm, they all run together to me, and I need Prevagen to go to the uh, store like for us old people that lose our memory. But he's a beast. And when you see a dude, which might go back to my original thing, I don't think it's physical. I, I don't think that he has a mechanical flaw. I don't think I think something is crept in his brain. And we talked about this the other day where he's getting shipped out. I think it's a cool move, a, a good move, to go down to the complex in Dunedin. Um, I'm not going to go to AAA and pitch in front of crowds. I'm not going to go to AA and pitch in front of crowds. Let's go down there for a, a seven-day, ten-day, two-week sabbatical, if you will, and get my mind right and get everything back in there because I, I like his stuff. I like his, his his competitive nature. But when he came out of the game the other day, um, he looked a little bit defeated. 
And that's something he's got to get back and try to figure that out on his own. Because, you know, Gosman the other day, what he was able to do, Kikuchi's throwing the ball well. You bring Manoa back into the mix where he's feeling frisky and feeling himself, um, that's a one, two, three I don't think anybody wants to go up against right now. So uh, I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, I hope he goes down there with the right mindset. I hope they take him back on, on the backfield somewhere. He has some conversation with some people, and, and they iron some things out because he's too valuable. He's too good for you guys not to have him down this stretch. Absolutely. Uh, let's change gears a little bit. Talk about Luis Arise. Uh, yeah, you look up his numbers, Billy. It's it's sort of silly to even say these numbers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a couple. I, I know you talked about him today on the MLB Network, but and I know you know these numbers. Uh, against the fastball, that's what I always look at. I don't know about you, but a good hitter has to be able to hammer the fastball. He's hitting 383 versus the fastball. He's hitting 408 against the breaking ball. He's hitting 447 <laughs> against off-speed pitches. My question to you would be, because I, I know you dug into him a little bit today, does he have everything, if we know what that would be, everything that it would take to walk to the plate for six months to hit 400? Uh, wow, that is so hard to do because, you know, he, he just threw out, I said he came on a homestand, he's got 18 knocks in his homestand. Oh. And he's thrown out, what, five, two knocks a day, mm-hmm. um, two plus a day, which, you know, when you're hitting 400, if you go one for three, your average goes down. Um, you, you've got to go two for five um, every day to maintain 400 if you're at 400. And that's an awful, awfully hard thing to do. What I was talking about with him that I, I love in today's age where you think it's okay to swing and miss three times and walk back to the dugout, no. He does not subscribe to that theory. He understands who he is. He puts the ball in play. He doesn't swing and miss. And as I was talking about today, someone came up with this arbitrary number that that hard hit rate is 95 miles an hour and up. And if you look at him, he ranks like, I don't know, 100 and something in baseball in in that situation. He's 22% of the time. But if you change the 95 number to 90, he ties with Pete Alonzo for balls hit over 90 miles an hour. Pete Alonzo, by the way, leads Major League Baseball Mm. in home runs. So if we're sitting there on the, in the dugout watching him play every day, we have the baseball conversation like, man, this dude hits the ball hard a lot. And they might not be rockets, but he hits the ball hard enough to get knocks. And I, I love the fact that he competes at home plate. I love the fact that he refuses to swing and miss. I love the fact that he refuses to strike out. And let's face it, if you don't swing and miss and you put the ball in play, you're giving yourself a chance for a knock. And he understands himself. Look, the dude won a batting title last year. So the fact that he's hitting 400, yeah, it still floors me. But this dude knows how to hit. And I'm rooting for him. And my main premise today when I talked about him was when I go and do these coaches' Q&As at the tournaments that we host, The youth coaches are concerned with that term launch angle because the reason is is because little Jimmy's father at 10 years old is telling him to hit the ball in the air. Well, little Jimmy's not strong enough to go bridge. 
the little Jimmy might hit fly balls, and at the 10-year-old age group, you hit me three lazy fly balls, you're going to be out three times. And soon little Jimmy's going to play soccer. So if you want to play the sport, maybe watch what a rise does at the big league level and hit me line drives back up the box towards the pitcher, and it's all going to work out for you. You know, it's funny. We haven't seen a, a guy hit 400. And, I mean, I remember Tony Gwynn the year year of the player's strike. He was he looked really good. But the thing that I've <laughs> – the thing I've often wondered about it when you start thinking about a 400 hitter, Bill, is how does strength of lineup play into that over the course of a year? Because that's that might be my and I don't know, you know, going to I mean, you're standing at the plate. You pretty much control whether you whether you can go two to five as a hitter. You know, I mean, it's it's in your hands. But does strength of lineup come into play there? And And, and quite frankly, is the Marlins lineup good enough that? that he's going to be able to hit 400 or is it just, it it doesn't matter. It's an individual thing. You know what, in this particular case, because he knows who he is and he's just this kind of singles doubles guy, Mm -hmm. he's got one homer. Um, So maybe that's a situation where they're not too concerned about him going bridge. They might give him more opportunities to get his hits. Right. Because maybe, uh, they're they're in a situation. Look, they play one run games. They play low scoring games. Um, they got a couple guys now behind them that are starting to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But I, I think either a walk or a single to him, it's not that big of a deal. So he may have somewhat of a chance to play that. Look, we all know when we put up that board today, and you're talking about Paul O'Neill, Chipper Jones, uh, Gwen. He's in pretty good company. Mm-hmm. But even those guys fizzled down the stretch. Um, what was the year that Olerud was pushing the envelope for a while? Because I played against him. Yeah. And you're going, this is really cool. But he couldn't maintain it as good as he was. So yeah. it's going to be a tall order to throw that out there. But I think in Arise's case, since he's not the damage guy, he might get a little bit more chance to do it. And, and the amazing thing about him is, is when he gets his knocks on balls out of the strike zone, it, it, I wouldn't necessarily call it a chase. He knows what he can handle. And he handles the ball in off the dish a few inches. He handles the ball up extremely well where he can push a ball to left center field for a nice little bloop knock. So I think he's got a, a kind of a legitimate chance just knowing that it's a long shot just because of how baseball plays out and how hard it is. Last question for us uh, from us before we let you run. We had a game last night here where a pitcher and a hitter uh, both ran afoul of the pitch timer. Now, it's June 8th, and I have to admit I'm still a little surprised, Bill, that I'm seeing this. Should I be? And are you surprised we're still seeing this? We're, we're still seeing some violations? Yeah. I'm I'm really not because there's always some certain things that creep into it. Um, I understand what we're doing as a sport, as as baseball, and we're trying to get this stuff moving. And I'm a fan of of that. I I, I think there might have been a way a couple years back when we were trying to force the hitter to stay in the batter's box, and then we just kind of let that go. Um, I'm not so sure why. So maybe they wanted to put more stringent things into it. But 
I do think when we get into these situations, because let's face it, this is a pretty decent series, right? Mm-hmm. Blue Jays, Astros. Um, I said today that this is a possible playoff matchup type series with these two teams. And I think when things get on the line like that, even if you're in a little bit of a habit, you want to try to take a little step back and have a little bit of a reset moving in there. I hope that these rules don't make somebody punch out in a three, two count situation with the bases drunk Mm. um, where something's going to be decided that way, because you would hate to see that. So uh, I think still in June, a couple of the guys or a couple of people that were probably involved in the WBC because that wasn't in effect. I, I, I think the guys that didn't uh, participate in that had a full spring training of it. Um, I, I think it's helpful, but I'm not too alarmed about June yet. But when it gets into August and something starts happening that way, I don't want to see games decided um in, in those situations and i know right now that the umpires aren't allowed to have any leniency uh on the situation so we still got to watch this play out a little bit longer um i think everybody appreciates games that are a little bit quicker um as far as the time goes but um we'll see we'll see in um august if that rolls around and we start keep having violations maybe we got to re relook at it a little bit just so we don't have any bad faux pas happen in September down the stretch. Billy, I, I lied. I think Barker has one yeah, more Yeah, question. I do have one more. Ellie De La Cruz, first impressions. What is it for you? Uh, talented and in control. Oh. Um, you know, when, when, when you run your second day in the big leagues on a triple, fastest to third base than anybody else in the game, and there's people flying. Yes, there are situations that arise because not every triple in the big league is a slide into third. Um, with, with his run, but the, the dude's got thump. Um, it seems to have energized the Cincinnati Reds, and I know they ran up into Clayton Kershaw today, and he stopped all the madness of people talking about you know Cincinnati Reds in the World Series and all the craziness going on. But when you see a guy come up to the big leagues like that, and he seems to be in control, seems to have presence, it's a pretty cool thing to watch. Absolutely. Bill, we're going to let you run, man. Thanks That's for awesome. doing this. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Be well. You got it, boys. Keep it going. Thank you. Take care. That's Bill Ripken, analyst in the MLB Network. Louisa Rice. Yes. Jeff. Bo Bichette's hitting 241 with two strikes. 241's a giant number. I think league average is somewhere around that 160 ish mark. Mm -hmm. Louisa Rice is hitting 312 with two strikes. He's a left handed hitter. He's hitting 382 against lefties. (laughs) If you want to come close to hitting 400, I would think those two numbers, two strikes and lefties, have to be big numbers. Like, you got to well, be doing would, some that, things. And that would suggest to me that if you're hitting with two strikes, you're waiting to get your pitch. You're being You're letting it travel. You can use patient. the entire field. Yeah. You can hit the breaking ball. And, 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 you can lay off the strike the ball, breaking ball. And, you know, Bill's point, oh, Bill's point was interesting. I hadn't thought of that because... It's all about home runs now. And, you know, I was thinking back to Tony Gwynn's day. Pitchers were kind of, I think pitchers were more aware of things beside home runs because it wasn't all about home runs. And maybe that does help uh, Luis Arias because if you're on the mound, oh, yeah, he gives up up a single guy. You know what? I gave up two singles to him and five at-bats, and we won 6-3. I'm okay with that. 
Maybe. Maybe that will allow him to um, to be able to keep it going and have a shot at that. But 400, you know, if, if, if you just do the numbers, and I, and I, I, I wish I could remember... I wish I could remember it was Bill James or somebody did did an article, did a study or an article one time in Tony Gwynn and just what it would take to hit 400. Yeah. It's hard, man. Well, it, well what, would, what would you hard. have to be hitting going into September to finish at 400? That for me is the month. September's the month. It's been a long season. You're trying to figure it out. Your team's probably not going to be in it. The, like you're only fighting, and you're t- everybody's the only watching is, you now. Your home it's games, a big deal. yeah. The weather's colder, except your home games are in Miami. Sure. So that that it's that warm. would that would help. You're probably I. I mean, you know what? I mean, I'm going to look at their schedule just just for giggles. I'm going to look at what the what the Marlins schedule is like in September. I mean, I I would think. It would ideally, I think you want to be hitting over 400 going into September, so that maybe you do have that yeah, yeah. that swoon. But the other thing too is he plays every day. He's getting five at bats every day. Yes, yeah, that adds up, right? Uh, he, he can't have one of those Matt Chapman mates. Oh God, like no. you can't you can't have a 190 month right and think you're going to hit 400. Okay, to start September, Mark Boffo, our excellent producer, Ooh. Nationals, Dodgers, Phillies. Brewers, Braves, Mets, Brewers again, Mets. So they're playing Pirates. Finish the year with the Pirates. Now, boy, oh boy, you're got, you've got uh, six games against the Mets. You got a ton of games against the, well, you got three games against the Braves. The Phillies could be fighting for yeah, a playoff yeah, yeah. spot. Hell, the Brewers, you got seven games against the Brewers. They mm-hmm. might be fighting for a central tie. I mean, how would he handle two being close to 400? Nobody's ever been, went through that. It's not like you can walk up to somebody and go, hey, how did you handle it? Well, and the thing is, you That's know what thing, happens? Right? You get close to 400. Are you going to change things? Well, it's not just that. All of a sudden, you got media. You got pressure yeah. on you, even though you're in Miami. Absolutely. You may not have had any pressure on you for five months. Guess what? September, you're hitting 401, 402 down the stretch. You're Vladdy saying he's trying too hard. You think this dude's going to try too hard? I would. Intriguing. I were close to 400. It is. That'd be awesome. Intriguing. I hope he gets there. Uh, That'd be cool. Mike Stanton is a Houston Astros studio analyst. He's a three-time World Series champion. We mentioned the Astros and Jays will wrap up their four-game series tonight at the Rogers Center. Quite a series for the Jays from the the Alec Manoa drama to watching Kevin Gossman and Chris Bass at Fashion Gems. And then tonight we get to see the best best pitcher, best pitcher in the Astros. Romber Valdez against uh, Jose Barrios. Should be a terrific matchup. Mike Stanton joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 5.9 Defense, Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet, wherever you get your favorite podcast. He's not, then I can't ask (laughs) Stanton about him. Yes. Uh, I mean, if you're a Jays fan, I was going to ask him about him. Thank you very much for that one. I mean, he's uh, 
high performance department for the Astros. Oh, Appreciate that. Three well, they, four, they, we'll take it. I'll tell you what, they certainly take it. They certainly did Chris Bassett a solid yesterday. Sitting not out really. Sitting when he's got the sinker working in the cutter, the elevated yeah, yeah. cover, cutter to lefties. Good luck. Seven oh seven will be the first pitch tonight at the Rogers Center. The Jays and Astros wrapping up their four game series. Uh, Jose Barrios on the mound for the Blue Your Jays. Your boy Barrios. Barrios and uh, my other guy, guy that I told you I like watching pitch for a long time. Romber Valdez on the mound for the Astros. Mm. Let's bring in Mike Stanton, uh, Astros studio analyst, three-time World Series champion. Mike, thanks so much for joining uh, Kevin Barker and myself. Look, I was going to ask you about uh, Mauricio Dubon anyhow, even if he isn't in the lineup tonight. Mm. So can I go ahead and do that? Because he's been, you know, we were talking about this. I We've seen the Astros before, obviously. Seen him, but He's a nice little player, isn't he? He is. I mean, they got him last year, and offensively, he really. Oh. Uh, he was on a roll, too, you could tell. He's hitting his stride. That's like a bad drop, well, that too. Was a good one, wasn't it? That's like a mic drop. Yeah. What I would do to you if I ever came on with you on the radio. I mean, that's really not. <laughs> that's just not necessary. That, that really true, is. Well, it's just not necessary. Just a picture of your face when I did it. <laughs> well, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily see my face if it was on the radio. I can I picture find, it in my that. mind, though. I find that that that's, that's just not nice. Uh, well, it'll be from Valdez against uh, Jose Brios. I think we have Mike Stanton back. Yeah. Mike, thanks for joining us again. Our apologies. Yeah, here for- I am. Yeah, it's our apologies. It's uh, technology. You gotta love it. Yeah, well, technology—it's a beautiful thing. Is and I was asking you about Mauricio Dubon and just, right. uh, uh, you know, I, I just said like it's I. It sounds kind of he just—he's a nice little player. You like watching the guy play. You know, so the Astros got him last year, and offensively, he just well, he really wasn't. He hasn't been a very good offensive player in his career. Defensively, and the reason they acquired him is because. He's at least average, if not above average, everywhere he plays. Um, and, you know, the Astros have always loved kind of that super utility player that can spell guys, and then you, you at least get good defense. But this year, he's he credits a lot of it to actually Jordan. Him and Jordan play, Jordan Alvarez play dominoes together. And, you know, they're just talking, hitting, and I don't know what he said, but you know, he had the long 20-game hitting streak. And during that hitting streak earlier in the season, you really saw the confidence go through the group, uh, go, go through the roof. I mean, he started off, you know, just hitting singles to right. But then he actually started hitting some doubles. He started driving the ball a little bit. He's actually hit a couple home runs. I mean, it's been – and he's carried that. You know, he, he, he had the 20-game hitting streak. Uh, he missed a day. And then he went on like another seven or eight-game hitting streak. So it's – it's been really been remarkable to see how how well he's continued to swing the bat, even though Altuve's back and he's not playing every day. Framber Valdez, easy cheese, Mike, with a little bit of movement. How's he do it? Yeah, I would say uh, a lot of movement. Yeah, um, Framber Framber's about as good as you can get. It, it's a it's a unique skill set with a heavy sinking, you know, mid to upper nineties fastball and a devastating curveball. His curveball is good enough. You know, you guys up there, you remember, you know, Roy Halladay had the curveball. You knew it was coming. You can't hit it. That's that's Frommer's curveball. Unless he hangs it, there's just not a whole lot you can do. And the thing to look at is when balls are put in play, when he's right, 
he's a ground ball machine. You know, Roger Center, that's a big thing because the ball likes to fly out of there. Mm. Uh, when you look at this this team and you know you look at that division now and Texas is you know Texas has got Texas has got it going on in that division and and it's yeah. you know it's funny we, we I was looking at the Astros game notes when Houston came in I said Barker we spent a lot of time talking about the Rangers but here I am looking at the Astros and they actually have a, had a better 25 game a better 25 game record than than Texas what what do you think what do you think the difference might be between these two teams. You know, the first thing I look at is now Texas doesn't have Jacob DeGrom anymore. And one thing I know about right. the Houston Astros is they got, they, they have pitching and the, you know, I mean, I don't know how many organizations could have Justin Verlander leave, have Luis Garcia on go in the IL, have Jose Arquiti get hurt and go to a six man rotation. <laughs> you know, that's what you call depth. Well, and, and the thing is, of course, you know, you had you had Hunter Brown, who was their top pitching prospect. But, you you know, you've had a couple of guys, Brandon Belak, who's been up and down with the Astros the last couple of years, um, you know, doesn't have great stuff except for his changeup. He's figured out how to throw a changeup. He throws it a lot, and it's really his one-plus pitch. He's one of those pitchers that Leo Mazzoni used to like to say, he bends, but he doesn't break. He's going to mm-hmm. give up hits but he just doesn't give up that big, ugly, crooked number in an inning, and he keeps your team in the game. And J.P. France has done an outstanding job. He's had one bad start. You know, he's had six or seven starts now. He's only had one that was really a blow-up start. He gave up three home runs. So, uh, you know, these aren't guys that are household names, even in the you know, even in the you know MLB pipeline, top 100, or anything like that. But you got to give credit to the Astros organization because they're developing pitchers. You know, it's not just about having great stuff. It's how to use it. And these guys have been able to, uh, to get big league hitters out. So it's been pretty remarkable. I know everyone was a little concerned in the organization, in the fan base. I mean, you lose 40% of your starting rotation in two days. You know, what are we going to do now? But it actually has it actually has turned out okay, especially on the pitching side. You know, the inconsistency for this Astros team has been the offense. I mean, you saw it yesterday. Dubon gets three hits, Jordan goes deep, and there was one other hit by I think Abreu yesterday. You gotta give credit to Bassett, but that happens quite often with this Astros team. It's remarkable. I was just as you were talking, I had not really realized this, but I mentioned the Astros have a six man rotation. They're all homegrown. And I forgot that yeah. the three guys are on the IL, Garcia, I forgot McCullers Jr. and Urquidy, they're also homegrown. You're talking nine starting right. pitchers. That's that's unusual. <laughs> oh, it's it's well, it's it's really not that unusual. Where it gets unusual is the fact that this is a World Series championship yeah. team from last year and and you know, one of the favorites to win it again this year to have a homegrown rotation. That's where it's really unusual. And you know, pitching is um, you know pitching is an issue all the way across the league. It really doesn't matter who you are. Everybody has had injuries, and you know the Astros. Their depth has been challenged to say the least. And you know we really haven't hold, heard a whole lot out of you know when our Garcia may be back. Uh, I'm sorry, Garcia's having Tommy John. When Arquiti's going to be back? Uh, he is throwing, but you know I don't really see there being a, a light at the end of the tunnel. These dudes are going to have to stay healthy. Is, Valdez is working on an extra day's rest, obviously, with the six-man rotation. Is that a hard thing to do, add an extra day of routine for a starting pitcher? You know, I don't think so. Not now. I, I think that, you know, if, if we had this discussion 10 years ago with, 
with, you know, the veteran pitchers then that they were so caught up in their routines. But, you know, the, the thing is, nowadays, I mean, they have 10 extra off days. They have 20 off days compared to 10 off days a, a, a generation ago. You know, so they play 162 and 182 games. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even the five-day rotation, the five-man rotation, a lot of times you were going on five days rest anyways because of those built-in off days. So, you know, I think it's just a mindset. And I, I think that they, most organizations do a pretty good job of, helping the pitchers realize that the, the off day is way more beneficial than a hindrance. So I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. Well, Mike, we're going to let you run, man. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing Thanks this. Thanks a lot, Mike. No problem guys. Anytime. Take care. Later. It's Mike Stanton, Astros studio analyst, three-time world series champion. Further to your point about Fromber Valdez, his last three starts, He's 3-0 and with a 0.41 ERA. He's given up one earned run in 22 in the third innings. That's the lowest ERA over a three-start stretch in his career. This is a dude... <laughs> this is a dude that pitched in the WBC, yeah. made three combined starts in the LCS and World Series where he was 3-0 and with a 0.93 ERA. Yeah. He had 27 strikeouts. He is... Yeah, I mean... Well, when people sit down and list the great starting pitchers in baseball. Do you, do you think of him? I don't really. I don't. You in know the what playoffs, it is? Maybe I do. I don't until I I don't until I take a deeper dive and I go, hang on, I I've got to at least put this guy up there. Yeah, you know, you know how you always talk well, I do it. I always talk about a, a good hitter holds his finish. That tells you a yes. lot about where he's at as a hitter, right? It's not how you start, it's how you finish. He holds his finish when he throws a pitch, mm-hmm. right? He, so he doesn't fall off to either side to get that same lane so that that two-seamer moves the way he wants it to move. The big spin on the curveball and the cutter. He's got giant spin on the cutter and the curveball. That means it breaks a ton. Mm. So not only do you have to get the sinker up, because if it's down, it's like hitting a bowling ball. And I just every time I hear the word sinker and hard, I think of Laddie. Should I not? Should I not think of Laddie? Because I do think of Laddie. All I think about is 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 Dan Shulman say, "Oh, oh roll over to third. And I, I mean, I should not think of that, but I do think of that because if you don't make an adjustment yeah. and force him up, that is, you either force him up or you move closer to him. Your first at bat. Which one do you think this lineup is capable of doing? <laughs> Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I I'm, I was left-handed, so I probably wouldn't have faced him. But if I would ever face this guy, there ain't no way I'm going to stand up there and let him throw me sinker after sinker and throw that big giant curveball. There ain't no way mm. you're going. You, I'm going to at least have a puncher's chance of putting a ball in play hard somewhere. And the only way you do that is get it before it starts moving. Any of those. Just watching. It's interesting. Just watching Fromber Valdez on the monitor go through Hold his, his finish. Go through his warm-ups That's great. in the outfield. It's great. He's having a, all, he's having, he was having a lot of fun with folks in the bleachers, too. Yeah. So, got to like that. Uh, hey, the back leg line is a, uh, is a 24-7 phone line, which allows you to uh, call in and, uh, and, and, and chat to Kevin Barker. Well, actually, can't chat to him, yeah, but you can too. leave questions and suggestions, comments for Kevin Barker. The number is 416, mm. or the number is 416 four, The number is 416-413-3959. Shut up. <laughs> Four one six four one three three nine five five nine of the uh, 
the number for the back leg line. <laughs> you know. They know, Jeff. There are some days. Uh, there are some days. Well, I mean, once you screw it up two times. Adam in Ottawa. It, say, just call in. Stop it. Adam in Ottawa called the back leg line. Adam. I do have a question for Kevin. He often talks about. Uh, team chemistry not being a huge factor for team success. It seems like a lot of individuals playing a team sport. As someone who's played a lot of team sports my entire life, I find that difficult to wrap my head around. So just hoping you could maybe elaborate on that a little bit further. Thanks, guys. I think it's performance-driven. I've been in a bazillion clubhouses. When, when your team or your best players are not being really good, chemistry seems to not be real good. It's it's very segregated. Like there's a group of people way over there. There's a group of people way over there. You know, and you're sort of trying to meet in the middle to go out and play a baseball game. So, yeah, look, you, people can think what they want to think. That I, that part of it, I think, is very – you can have your own opinion about that. But the teams that I played on, I played on some good ones. I played on some – I played on some winter ball teams with elite – Big leaguers. Dudes with lots of World like Series elite rings. Yeah. Big leaguers. Mm-hmm. Not just Kevin Barkers of the world, which I was really good in winter ball. But it's just it's just amazing how that word chemistry you can throw around seems to be a giant deal when quite frankly it comes down to who's standing on the mound and who gets the timely hit and who plays better defense and who doesn't screw up on the bases, right? Is that chemistry or is that your players being Good at their job. See, I, I've always thought that one of the... It's a good the, question, though. It is. I mean, I thought that one of the things about, about baseball is you spend so much time together. You literally spend every day together from, what, February 14th to maybe the middle of October. Too long sometimes. And there's a ton of downtime. And, you know, guys show up at a clubhouse, a 7 o'clock game. There'll be some dudes rolling in at 1. They may hang around till 11, depends. Ten hours of being with the same people all the time. Yeah. You're not necessarily doing well all the time. I mean, it, 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 it gets a little old. I've, I've, all, I've never, you know, we used to, back in the day, writers used to spend, I mean, we'd go in the clubhouse from 3.30 until dudes would take batting practice, and then you'd go back in. Clubhouses are much more, the access is much more restricted now. Mm. And I just don't think now, I, I don't think any of us have any idea what goes on in a clubhouse. Um, I know when you call players meetings, most of the time those are about, let's come together. Yeah. I've, this is one. I mean, I've mm. had... I spent time around some clubhouses that were really, really cool places where everybody got along and the team was awful. I spent time around Jay's clubhouses where the clubhouse was not real good, but the team was okay. I just, I think Kevin's right, man. It's just, it's, it's different in baseball. It's not football where you play 16 games a year or 18 games a year. It's not hockey where you're playing whatever, 82 games a year and you disappear in the summer, you go up to the cottage. I mean, it just isn't. It's it's different, and above all else, by the nature of the sport, I it's the only sport where the defense has possession of the ball. No other sport, cricket. Other than that, no other sport has that. Baseball's a negative sport. The first act of a baseball game is, I got this, I don't want you to do anything with it. It's not like football where I'm kicking the ball off, you're going to catch it and do something. It's not like hockey where the puck's going to be dropped, I got it, I'm going to do something. It's not. The first act of a baseball game is negative. And that, to me, 
is the whole deal. That That's everything about baseball. That, that was John Lowe, a writer with the Detroit Free Press, just explained that to me one time. And yeah, it's an old sort of baseball writerish thing. But it's true. It's the one sport where the defense has possession of the ball. And I think that explains a lot about baseball. I think it explains a lot about uh, baseball. Do we have another uh, caller for the back leg line? Mark Boffo is looking at me, Mm. nodding off. (laughs) No, he's not. Um, mm, Nah, I don't think so. I don't think we necessarily need that. I don't think we necessarily need that. Uh, we didn't get our... I know what we didn't do. And I promised I promised people this, and we didn't do it. And I like to deliver for the folks. Mm. Brandon Belt. 235 on-base percentage on May 1st. It's now up to 385, which is eighth best in the American League. You love this stat. His 4.448 pitches per plate appearance are the most among AL that. hitters. Oh, I know you're big about... <laughs> <laughs> working long walks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, his last 27 contests, he's hit 350 with nine doubles, three homers, 10 RBI, and 20 walks. I love what Bill Ripken said about him. Get a big hit. That's and, and I think that's kind of what we talked about, Brandon Belt, when people asked us what are our expectations for him. I don't expect him to be the everyday cleanup hitter. But, yeah, I could see Brandon Belt getting a big hit every now and then, pitching in. It yeah. seems to me that, that's what he's done, and, I, and that's why I keep getting back to this. Mm-hmm. The dude in front of him is hitting Kevin. I think we look at this lineup differently. I think we need to stop saying it. Maybe that's why it's not coming true is because we say it too much. No, it's not, not our fault. I'm, there's, a lot in, there's a lot I will accept blame for. Yeah. And you know there's a lot that I should be blamed for, but uh, – I blame you. Flatty Jr. is not. Uh, yeah, not yeah. With 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 Belt, with Belt, I, I, me personally, I don't think ha- things happen just because. I think for me, he, he's not as stiff looking at the plate. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're no, you remember like when, when he first got here the yes. first couple of weeks. I mean, he he looked like he he looked like he could barely put his chin on his shoulder. Like he it just looked like he was horrible. Like it looked like yes. he just didn't want to walk to the. He was trying to figure that out. He doesn't look that way anymore. He has less. Less hand movement, which is a big deal. When you foundationally, as a hitter, do the things he does, which I'm taller, I'm stationary, because I'm trying to... Why he does that is he's trying to keep his front side in, right? He's trying to... Because he's a pull hitter. He's basically trying to catch that thing somewhere around the front part of his leg so he can keep it fair. That's why he starts the way he starts. But for me, it's all about the foundation. It's that when he goes into his swing, because he's a little bit looser with his upper half, when he sits down in his swing, because of the less hand movement, everything tends to be able to get to the baseball. This is why these numbers. Are you surprised? Let me finish. Okay. The two not. How do you like that? You say that to me all the time. How's that feel? How's that feel? How's that feel? 295 versus a fastball. That's a big deal. 6'11 on the first pitch. That's average. You like that, don't you? I do. I like that a lot. He's had 14 walks his last 15 games. Three of the four homers are off the breaking ball. That, for me, is a big deal because I'm not sure how many homers he's going to hit off the heater, but I do think because of the better foundation and him being a little looser with his upper half and able to hit enough fastballs because he can catch it out front, 
When he catches them out front with the breaking ball, he can create backspin to the pool side, which is exactly why they brought him here. So, yeah, I, and I admit I've been, uh, in, you know, I haven't, uh, I mean, I haven't, I hadn't paid a great deal of attention to the San Francisco Giants the past couple of games, but his his defense has, I wouldn't say it surprised me, but he's, I don't notice a drop off when he's at first base. He's from when Vlad is playing first base, Jeff. Yeah, I know, but you know. It's not like he's old. Alec Manoa in the first inning, does he make that play to turn that double play? Uh, That's a lot of ground to cover. Not really. His his glove is on his right hand. That's a veteran veteran first baseman. He's picking in a grin in that thing, throrong that thing to second base. That's a runner on on third base with two outs is what that is. Say it like it is. I mean, I... You I mean, you played the position. That's what it is. He's He's a good defender. It's just offensively, can he can he catch it out front enough to create backspin on the breaking balls? And right now it looks like he can. And you ride it as long as you can ride it. Because you'd rather have him hit and clean up than that dude who hits who's not playing, who hits maybe fifth, sixth, or seventh. What do you uh, need to see early from Jose Barrios tonight? Uh, what well, will th- tell you that he's gonna be that we're gonna see the same guy we've seen in the what, the past Four or five games where he's been really good. Yeah, well, really, it, really good. It's a big deal to be in the zone with the sinker more. That makes the slurve with the different velocities on those. He's got a slurve now. Well, he's always had a slurve, but now he's got a breaking ball. He can throw that anywhere from seventy-nine to eighty-three. He can steal a strike with it, right? He's got the eliminator that's eighty-three. That's got a bigger break to it. That's called a slurve. So. That, that'll be set up a little bit better if he's in the zone more with the sinker. He throw enough change-ups to make, to make the velocity on the sinker look that much better. He's not chasing velocity anymore because he's mechanically sound. He can throw quality strikes, mm-hmm. which makes his misses better. I think he's going to have another good start just because he's oozing confidence, and confidence is 90% of the battle. Six and a third innings. He's given the Jays average over his last 10 starts, 5-2 and two at 248 ERA, which then, and this is, you know, ERA is not his, you don't measure Ho- Jose Brios by his ERA necessarily. Mm. That's top 10 how among you, AL pitchers. How do you navigate around Alvarez? That, that's it. Get everybody out around him, in front of him. That way, if you give up a homer against him, it's a solo shot. That's what you got to do. And Tucker. T- Tucker's going to be, a, he's a handful. He's in the lineup, right? I think I looked that up. He's a handful. Those two lefties, they do similar things. Tucker and Alvarez can use the entire field with power. The quality of your elevated four-seamer after the get-ahead with the change-up maybe down and away or the slow 79-mile-an-hour breaking ball is very, very important. If he can get people out in front of those two guys... He'll give them a chance to have the big inning again. He's going to have to ma- match Alvarez like he, or, uh, or uh, uh, Valdez. He's going to have to match him because he's got power stuff, and the Blue Jays tend to have, roll over a bunch of that. So they're going to – it's going to be some quick innings early. Alvarez leads the majors in RBI with 55. He's second in the AL that was a home team runs. Stat. The 17. RBI. Second in slugging, 582. Mm-hmm. Third in OPS, 968. Fifth in walks. 32. Some could argue he's the best hitter in baseball. Some could, some have, some will, some might. I think he's the second best hitter. Now, now, now that the big boy and, and Yankees have mastered the fish eye, 
<laughs> Getting help. I mean, hey, good, more power to him because he can actually hit it to the moon. Yeah, Alvarez. is good for him. You know, Alvarez is also one of those guys. I, I do think that a little bit of postseason success can really You take 99 from a dude. lefty to dead central, you're, you're a man amongst boys. Yeah. And uh, I think with Jordan Alvarez, that is very much the case. That is it for us today. Mr. Barker and myself will be doing Blue Jays talk tonight, immediately following the Blue Jays 4-3 win over the Houston Astros. I'm calling it. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, Blair and Barker from 5 to 7 Eastern on Sportsnet 590. The Fan 360. If you're listening to us via podcast, thank you so much for doing that. Leave a five-star review for Mr. Barker because it means a lot to him. Have yourself a great night.